have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Silence! The great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> Jason Burmes. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning, everybody. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmes, and we've got a jam-packed morning show for you, like always, Monday through Thursday, 8 a.m. Eastern time. And we got to do a little dancing and prancing on this one because there's so many clips that I want to play on the first hour of this that I can't play, that I simply cannot play. In fact, if you were watching the broadcast last night, we did Mixed Martial Mindset with John Fitch. The last 15, 20 minutes or so, I had to go exclusively over to Rumble and Rockfin because despite us reading from mainline authoritative sources like the World Health Organization, okay? And look, this treaty... It's no bueno. It's no bueno. It's not good. Okay. And I'm going to show you how um, the authoritative sources use semantics and chicanery to really try to push their narrative and call you misinformation and disinformation while I assure you, and I'm going to show you again and again and again in this video, the people at the top do not care about you or anybody in the surf class and i got news for you you're rocking six figures you're rocking seven figures you're a surf to these people you're you're just as low as everybody else buddy that's the real deal so i want to talk about ohio for a little bit because we're going to come back uh to an independent chemical expert who is down there taking samples um, who some people have misidentified. And uh, Kristen Megan, who I've actually met in the past and uh, has done really good work on geoengineering, social, or uh, I'm sorry, solar radiation management, prolonged jet contrails. We don't like to say the chem word here, okay? And a lot more. That person uh, does a podcast with them. We're going to name him. 
and show that video, but I also see some mis some actual misinformation being spread around. Now, if you watch the broadcast last night, we were um, really within an hour or so of the story breaking that there were individuals on a twin jet engine out of a Clinton airport in Arkansas, can't make this up, that all died that were part of an investigative team going to Ohio, okay? They were not going to East Palestine or Palestine, okay? They, they, they weren't going there. They were going to the other shady explosion in a metal factory. And so much of our infrastructure has seen um, these mysterious fires and explosions and all these derailments. We're not supposed to ask any questions because the people in charge obviously love us. And they've proven so much over the years how much they love us. And I can't help but think to myself, when we go back to air quality, just on a, a macro level, of what happened at the World Trade Center and how we especially featured in Loose Change Final Cut that the EPA and others lied that what? You had uh, the governor of Jer of Jersey being like, no, everything's cool. Go ahead. No, everybody can breathe. Everything's handy dandy. They lied about that air quality. Well, I got news for you guys. They continue to lie. They're liars. They indemnify themselves all the time. And that's why they use really Bernaysian tools and language to push their narrative. And I'm gonna show you some of that narrative push in a minute uh, after we play some clips. But first I wanna show you this. So I type in pandemic accord because although this was shot down in May, it was talked about over a year ago, et cetera. I wanted to see um, what was out there. CNA is really the last one to cover it in these new provisions where they've revised things. And I'm going to give you the authoritative fact checks, the whole nine, what they're telling you. Oh, this doesn't get rid of our sovereignty. Look right here. Independent fact check. They've already told you when I say they Google, which is alphabet, which is YouTube, which is a Trojan horse civilian system that has partnered with NASA and others in uh, quantum computing and artificial intelligence. You, you can't make this stuff up, says. The WHO pandemic accord doesn't replace U.S. sovereignty. Well, well, duh. Why would it have to replace it when you're harmonizing with it? Just like all these National Institute of Health, CDC, they're not, they're not a governing body. They can't actually institute policies. They can make suggestions, right? You actually have to acquiesce. But did you and I get a vote on what happened to us over the past several years because they loved us so much? So first things first is we're going to play, uh, again, really sparse coverage here, guys, really sparse coverage. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to play uh, this clip, mainlining how, you know, this is a good thing. Oh, it's all really good. Then I want to play a short excerpt uh, of this two plus uh, hour, and this is from a few weeks ago as well, at a European parliament three weeks ago, uh, where this presentation is given, 
where they utilized American universities, I believe one of the Massachusetts universities, to track all social media during that nightmare and seeing where the narratives ranked and who trusted who. And of course, it's all Russian disinformation and China bad. And oh, we got to come together. And we love to say the word equity. I watched the whole three hours, but I watched some of it. It was just ridiculous. But this part in particular, I thought was extremely important. But first, let's go um, to this, this really revisiting of the new pandemic accord. The World Health Organization is set to hold a meeting today in Geneva to review new rules for dealing with pandemics. The Pandemic Accord is the global health agency's effort to shore up defenses against new pathogens after COVID-19 claimed more than 6.6 million lives. The WHO already has a treaty setting out rules and obligations for all countries in case of public health events. Oh, rules and obligations. Wait a minute, I thought this didn't challenge anybody's sovereignty. No, it's harmonizing with it. it. doesn't replace anything. But there will be rules. And there will be obligations. But the COVID pandemic has cast serious shadows on the agency's ability to investigate and contain major outbreaks. As it should. <laughs> I mean... Again, what cartoon universe are we living in? And I'm going to show you again, most people didn't buy the Johnny nonsense. You know what the most powerful tool of their Johnny nonsense was? It was the televised propaganda, the traditional news outlets. That's how hardcore some people in my generation and, and the generations previous that are still around have clung to this stuff. Proposals for the new pact include boosting transparency in data sharing and rules on equitable vaccine distribution. Equitable vaccine distribution. Uh, I have a Davos clip from two weeks ago. It's like a 45-minute panel where I'm not going to play any of it here at YouTube because I can't when I want to say it. But you have a representative from Gavi just saying some of the most outrageous stuff but again, showing you there's not a, a want, there's not a demand, there's not a desire for their product. Uh-oh, no, 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 no. As he says it, you may be done with the C word, but the C word ain't done with you. Isn't that lovely? Uh, thank you, Mr. Gabby, man. We spoke earlier to Associate Professor Sanjaya Senanayaka, an infectious diseases specialist at the ANU Medical School, and he says that while the world has endured a fresh pandemic, it may be tricky to enforce rules equally across the globe. Oh, it may be, really? Might it be tricky? Hmm, a, a, a tricky, rules and obligations. The main factors are making sure that as a planet, or as uh, member nations, we're globally prepared to face uh, pandemics and prevent them, of course, before they occur. Uh, again, they told you this is a once in a generation, once in a lifetime thing. Once in a hundred years. And you notice how he slips up. He's like, it's for the whole planet or member nations. So I guess the planets that sign on to it, piece of that. Yeah. Hmm. No, this is about global governance. This is about command and control 
This is about a biomedical fascistic track, trace, and database society rolled into a Johnny Nonsense social and carbon credit score. We want to make sure that there's sustained funding. There's no point having all these plans in place if countries, particularly poorer countries, can't afford to incorporate them into their budget. So that has to be something that will involve global corporate cooperation. And we have to make sure at a World Health Organization level that we promote trust between member nations so they don't feel scared about coming out about an outbreak. Uh, and face the problems that South Africa did when they identified some variants because of their very good public health system. Well, they've got a very good public health system. You know what a very good public health system, no matter where they lived on earth? Billionaires. had a great. The billionaires had great public health systems for some reason. Just so weird that I didn't see billionaires dropping dead during this whole thing. Isn't that odd? We could probably talk about that on the other side when we go to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. So before we get to the narrative management, okay, I, I, I want to show you the outright fact check. So first of all, you have the independent fact check over at YouTube, right? Right away. Oh, no, the World Health Organization is not, <laughs> not going to replace U.S. sovereignty. Oh, no, no, no. Again, it's going to harmonize with it. It's going to have rules and obligations so we can have equitable care and a sustainable health care system. Hmm? Yeah, okay. So, so here's another one of those in-your-face fact checks. Now, this goes back to uh, the last time before it failed because this is not getting much media coverage. But again, they, they convened a couple months ago to go over these revisions, and they really want this. They, I mean, they really want it. On May 22nd, the World Health Organization will meet in Geneva to discuss how to best respond to future pandemics. Among the ideas is a U.S. proposed amendment to improve ways of detecting, reporting, and responding to public health events worldwide. Now, I just want everybody to understand what he just said there. A U.S proposed amendment so so one of the arguments that they're going to say about this is that nobody is beholden to the amendments put forward here in this treaty right um if there are amendments of course we're going to enforce them here whether you or i who had no say in these amendments or this treaty whatsoever want to do we, we get no say. Some social media users are referring to this as a pandemic treaty and are using the hashtag stop the treaty to voice their opposition to the amendment. Ooh. On a podcast hosted by Steve Bannon, former Minnesota Representative Michelle Bachman claimed the amendment could give the WHO control over the United States. Several Verify viewers emailed us to ask about these claims. So let's verify. Would the pandemic treaty give the WHO control over governments during a global health crisis? Our sources are the international health regulations, proposed amendments to the regulations, and the WHO. The international health regulations are part of an international law that outlines the responsibilities of WHO member countries, like the U.S., when there's a public health emergency. It requires that countries report what's happening and that the WHO offer assistance. 
Earlier this year, the U.S. proposed several amendments to the regulations based on what we learned during the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, our regulations, our proposed amendments. They include adding early warning criteria, a request to provide genetic sequence data, and outlines a time frame for when and how countries can ask the WHO for support. And a lot of other things that are terrible. But, you know, again, we're going to we're going to sugarcoat it and softball it. It does not give the WHO authority over member countries. The amendment repeatedly states that countries can reject the WHO's assistance. So, no, the pandemic treaty would not give the WHO control over governments during a global health crisis. How many times do we reject their assistance? So much so that the WHO is still the authoritative source over the largest video platform in the world, the second largest search engine in the world, only behind the first largest search engine in the world, Google, which it, it, it is a part of, okay? Hey, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. I mean, look at this guy. Hey, look at him. I mean, you can just say no, whatever, right? Just, it no. doesn't give the agency any new authority and only outlines how they can help at the request of a member country. Mm -hmm. Whether you are verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. Thank you so much, Brandon, because, you know, I, I always, in my sleep, actually, I'm constantly requesting help from the World Health Organization. Okay, to have a better tomorrow and a better life. Because I know they love me just like the government loves me. What planet are we on? So um, we're going to cut into this. This is European Parliament a few weeks ago. Okay, and this hearing was the COVID-19's pandemic impact on democracy and fundamental rights in the EU. MEPs will discuss how to tackle misleading and false information, especially on social media. Oh, espe ooh, especially on social media. How naughty. Okay, so let's just, let's kick it off here. Oh, man, that's, that's, that's just not a, a, a good spot. Whatever, we're doing it this way. Apart from designing constructive communication tools to bridge people across experiences and divides, our research center has been focusing on identifying who are the social media actors with the greatest influence in the context of the pandemic. Next slide. For this research, we examine Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pandemic-related posts from January 2020 to January 2022 in order to rank influencers by the total impact their COVID-19 posts have on pandemic narratives using total post engagements. Next slide. We then partnered with the Massachusetts Department of Public Health to categorize all social media accounts into various types of influencers, such as traditional news, politicians, public health organization, and others. So, so here again, take a look, because this, this should tell you everything, how powerful social media is and why they so badly need to control this narrative. Next slide. So as you can see in this graph, politicians and political influencers are ranked among the most influential ones, whereas more expected actors, such as medical experts and public health organizations, ranked among the less influential ones. So again, take a look at who they got up here. Now, they categorize Joe Biden with Donald Trump. Donald Trump way more influential, but they have politicians at the top and then political influencers. And that's the vast majority of what you saw on traditional social media. And they and those, again, 
are against the uh, traditional narrative. They're they're contrarian, if you will, but they won't put that out there. They won't act that way. Okay, notice who they did have put here. Uh, Robert Reich, get out of here. No one, no one listens to the Reich. Candace Owens, that's real. Disclosed TV, that's real. James Woods, they attacked him. That's real. AOC, unfortunately, real. But you notice traditional news is in the middle. Okay, that's the New York Times right there, etc. Really, that's Reich, too. It's the same thing. And then right under, if you look at it, three of the top four contrarian medical experts. Okay, they were higher on the totem pole than the Fauci's of the world, the consensus medical experts. And at the very bottom, public health organizations like the World Health Organization, like the NIH, like the CDC. So that should just show you that that the vast majority of people were like, I don't know. That's why they had to strong arm so many in this country. Okay, so when we go to the premium, we're going to have a lot more to say about all this stuff. I promise you that. But before we do that, I want to play this clip. We played it last night. I think it's really important. It goes into the treaty. And it really uh, calls into question what's going on in Ohio right now. And then we're going to go to the chemical expert who's actually surveilling Ohio right now. Over 200 people watching, not even 100 thumbs up. Let's get the thumbs up. Subscribe and share, everybody. Here we go. Economic Forum website, as of May 2023, 36 countries worldwide will have smart city governance initiatives, surveillance monitoring, analysis reporting technology. You'll have a digital ID that will track in real time your shopping, your entertainment, your activities, and your carbon footprint. You'll also have a 15-minute travel limit without a permit. A permit to travel. And if you exceed any of these things, you'll be denied access to daily activities. Obviously, no one would move into one of these cities voluntarily, but they don't have to because the laws governing agenda 2030 land development allows the government to cease polluted land and move their residents to these smart cities. If you're living somewhere where your land and water is poisoned, you don't get an option to opt out. Hmm, where has land and water been poisoned recently? I mean, again, you gotta ask these questions. So with that being said, uh, we are going to move over to, let's see, where are we? Let's make sure we get the right one. Don't want to bring up anything we're not supposed to say here on the YouTube. This is Kristen Megan and uh, with uh, Stephen Petty. So we're going to actually see Stephen Petty on the scene over in Ohio right here. We're going to be playing these two videos and, and hopefully Our video doesn't get pulled down because we dared to show somebody who's doing, I don't know, independent testing of what seems to be a very, 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 very effed up situation that emphasizes how much the government obviously loves us. I mean, obviously they love us. We're going to be looking for a lot of chemicals, including dioxin. We're doing a lot of soil sampling and water sampling. My view is that it was a bad decision to release it and burn it. I have undergraduate and graduate degrees in chemical engineering. I mean, I've brought respirators and stuff with us. The problem is, you, to wear a respirator, you need to know what to protect from, right? Hydrocarbons, acid gases. We're here, I think, the first group independently to 
trying to figure out what's really here because what they were measuring most of the time is what they call VOCs, which is just some generic. It's not a specific chemical, right? I couldn't in good conscience until we get some sampling data know what to protect against. I've been involved in these before. They know that things are going to dissipate with time. So they measure things that don't really matter. There's evidence that when you burn vinyl chloride poorly, and it was definitely burned poorly because it's had such a black plume. If you think of the old days with a carburetor, if you had the air-fuel ratio wrong and you had black smoke, that meant you had too much fuel not enough air. And that black is carbon, right? So it doesn't combust all the way to CO2. When there's incomplete combustion, there's there's evidence that part of the vinyl chloride goes to dioxin. And dioxin is one of the most deadly compounds known. If you measured air, it has a lot of components like oxygen, nitrogen. It might have carbon monoxide, right? So if you measure VOCs, volatile organic carbons. That doesn't tell me anything other than you're measuring carbon. But I want to know, is it vinyl chloride? What is the individual component? So they purposely measure with a cheaper instrument, total hydrocarbons, but I want to know what the components are. Okay, so he's telling you they're already lying to you. Okay, if you needed any translation on that. They're purposely lying to you, saying they're testing for things to protect you when they're testing for things that will later protect them in court, okay, and offset their knowledge of what the situation really was. So let's listen another minute or so with this gentleman. This is Stephen Petty on the scene over in Ohio. You're the guy that made all the decisions. Would you have done a controlled burn? Well, there's the lie. It wasn't a controlled burn, it was an uncontrolled burn. See, I'm a chemical engineer as well, as well as a top health and safety guy. I've got undergraduate and graduate degrees in chemical engineering. You're the first actual expert that we've gotten to speak to. In your opinion, why do you believe that it was an uncontrolled burn? Why are you using that terminology when so far everywhere else we've seen that it was a controlled burn? You can go to a place called West Liverpool downriver, and that's where they burn hazardous waste. And in hazardous waste, uh, situation. They very carefully control the temperature and the amount of oxygen so that they get complete combustion, right? It's time, temperature, and, and amount of the air-fuel ratio. There's no controlling of the amount of air that gets in there. That's why you saw all that soot. So it's not a controlled burn because a controlled burn would have to be like in a furnace or in your car or some system where you control the fuel, in other words, the vinyl chloride and the amount of oxygen. So they didn't do that. So it's an uncontrolled burn. One of the worst ways to determine exposure in general is to smell it because if you smell the odor guess what you're already exposed right and how long have you been doing this um 30 years i'm in most of the big named lawsuits as an exposure expert it's a privilege i get called in to try to figure some of this stuff out so that's my job always is what really happened you know what really happened you know it's a you know it's a privilege to go up against these monsters and liars and haters of humanity no i'm in all the big cases these clips are going viral and need to. Uh, I'm already following the gentleman uh, at Petty Podcast One is where you can follow him. That is uh, Stephen Petty. Okay. A and once again, to really drive home and emphasize how much these people love you and how much they care about you, obviously, uh, it's obvious how much they love you. You, you need only look to the Nord Stream pipeline attack and all, all that lovely stuff that's coming out from the bottom of the ocean, okay? If you believe them on any level, and when I say them, I'm talking about the establishment predator class that's selling you on a narrative that we're killing the planet 
and need to reduce our carbon footprints. And that, you know, carbon dioxide is is the evil of all evils. Well, they just released it all in, in a in a mass genocide suicide attempt to the planet, apparently. And when I say they, I point to this article by Hirsch. All right, that still the mainstream media, other than Fox News, hasn't touched. Won't touch it. And it's extensive. And, and uh, again, dollars to donuts, the guy got 80 plus percent of it right. And that's why after I, I uh, play this clip here of uh, a contractor, because because they even the, on the macro level, you're not allowed to know what's going on with this. OK, that there were investigations, the Swedish in particular. I'm going to show you that via Jeffrey Sachs in front of the U.N., Okay, this is why the UN is a, a, a nothing organization. It's going to do nothing, nothing with Sachs' te testimony. But on a, a micro level, right, when the authorities come in, like they do, you're going to see in Ohio here, okay, they act like you're the criminal. They demand information from you, and then they refuse to give you information while they're on your property. After they've got a bunch of people to sign these waivers, essentially, of liability. Totally insane. You're on you're on private property here. I'm sorry, I'm just asking you if you're taking samples. And, uh, I'm not, uh, I just like you refer me to your public information officer, have you taken samples? I can't answer any of your questions. You can't. Well, then why should I answer any of your questions? Because of what? But this is private property. You're standing on private property right now. I'm sorry, but I just I need to know. And you know what? I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I need to know. And her partner's in the corner here. That by that blue tarp. Let's bring that out so you can see this this angle. So they're in his backyard. Okay, and and anybody who um, you know has a local sewage system knows what this is, like the creek that's running through. And they got their nice little equipment on. They're taking their samples. They want to find out, are you taking samples? Oh, I can't tell you anything. Um, I have to check with my public information officer. Okay. You're on private property. I'm sorry. Um, the landowner doesn't want you trespassing. Like <laughs> these people. Doesn't matter. We're the boss. Okay. So look, there's a few things uh, I may disagree with Sachs about. You know, he pushes the sustainability stuff and the climate change stuff. Uh, but but this is about eight minutes of him addressing the United Nations, making them confront the reality of the pipeline incident and the absurdity of the excuses and, and the front stories that we've gotten. And I mean, again, are, are you going to see this on CNN or MSNBC? Huh? Is that happening? Doubtful, doubtful. By doubtful, I mean not a chance in hell, not a snowball's chance in hell. My name is Jeffrey Sachs. Uh, I am university professor at Columbia University. I'm a specialist in the global economy, including global trade, finance, infrastructure, and economic statecraft. I appear before the UN Security Council on my own behalf, I represent no government or organization in the testimony that I will deliver. 
the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines on September 26, 2022, constitutes an act of international terrorism and represents a threat to the peace. It is the responsibility of the UN Security Council to take up the question of who might have carried out the act in order to bring the perpetrator to international justice, to pursue compensation for the damaged parties, and to prevent future such actions. The consequences of the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines are enormous. They include not only the vast economic losses related to the pipelines themselves and their future potential use, but also the heightened threat to transboundary infrastructure of all kinds, submarine internet cables, international pipelines for gas and hydrogen, transboundary power transmission, offshore wind farms, and more. The global transformation to green energy will require considerable transboundary infrastructure, including in international waters. Countries need to have full confidence that their infrastructure will not be destroyed by third parties. Some European countries have recently expressed concern over the safety of their offshore infrastructure. For all of these reasons, the investigation by the UN Security Council of the Nord Stream explosions is a high global priority. The destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines required a very high degree of planning, expertise, and technological capacity. The Nord Stream 2 pipelines are a marvel of engineering. Each section of pipe is rolled steel of 4.5 centimeters thickness and with a pipeline internal diameter of 1.15 meters. The pipe is encased in concrete of 10.9 centimeters thickness. The weight of each section of concrete encased pipe is 24 metric tons. The Nord Stream 2 pipelines, some 1,200 kilometers in length, contain around 200,000 pipes. The pipelines sit on the sea floor. Destroying a pipeline of heavy rolled steel encased in concrete at depths of 70 to 90 meters requires a highly advanced technology for transportation of the explosives, diving to install the explosives, and detonation. To do so undetected in the exclusive economic zones of Denmark and Sweden adds greatly to the complexity of the operation. As a number of senior officials have publicly confirmed, an action of this sort must have been carried out by a state-level actor. Only a handful of state-level actors have both the technical capacity and access to the Baltic Sea to have carried out this action. Include the United States, Russia, the United Kingdom, Poland, Norway, Germany, Denmark, and Sweden, either individually or in some combination. Ukraine lacks the necessary technologies as well as access to the Baltic Sea. A recent report by the Washington Post revealed that the intelligence agencies of the NATO countries have privately concluded that there is no evidence whatsoever that Russia carried out this action. This also comports with the fact that Russia had no obvious motive to carry out this act of terrorism on its own critical infrastructure. Indeed, Russia is likely to bear considerable expenses to repair the pipelines. Three countries have reportedly carried out investigations of the Nord Stream terrorism, Denmark, Germany, and Sweden. These countries presumably know much more about the circumstances of the terrorist attack. Sweden in particular has perhaps the most to tell the world 
about the crime scene, which its divers investigated. Yet instead of sharing this information globally, Sweden has kept the results of its investigation secret from the rest of the world. Sweden has refused to share its findings with Russia and turned down a joint investigation with Denmark and Germany. In the interest of global peace, the UN Security Council should require these countries to immediately turn over the results of their investigations to the UN Security Council. There is only one detailed account to date of the Nord Stream destruction, the one recently put forward by investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch, ostensibly based on information leaked by Hirsch by an unnamed source. Hirsch attributes the Nord Stream destruction to a decision ordered by US President Joe Biden and carried out by US agents in a covert operation that Hirsch describes in detail. The White House has described Hirsch's account as, quote, completely and utterly false, unquote, but did not offer any information contradicting Hirsch's account and did not offer any alternative explanation. Senior U.S. officials made statements before and after the Nord Stream destruction that showed the U.S. animus towards the pipelines. On January 27, 2022, Under Secretary of State Victoria Nuland tweeted, quote, if Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward, end quote. On February 7th, President Biden said, quote, if Russia invades again, then there will be no longer Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to it, end quote. When asked by the reporter how he would do that, he responded, quote, I promise you we will be able to do it, end quote. On September 30th, 2022, immediately following the terrorist attack on the pipeline, Secretary of State Antony Blinken declared that the destruction of the pipeline is, quote, also a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus to take away from Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing his imperial designs. End quote. On January 28, 2023, Undersecretary Newland declared in testimony to Senator Ted Cruz in the U.S. Senate, quote, I am and I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea, end quote. Such language is not at all appropriate in the face of international terrorism. I hope that the United States, together with all other Security Council members, will condemn this act of international terrorism and join together in an urgent UN Security Council-led investigation of this international crime in order to determine the truth. The truth is not yet known by the world, but it is knowable. More than ever, the world depends on the UN Security Council to do its work to stop the escalation to a new world war. The world will be safe only when the permanent members work together diplomatically to solve global crises, including the war in Ukraine and the rising tensions in East Asia. The UN Security Council provides the unique global venue for that peace-affirming work. More than ever, we need a healthy, functioning 
UN Security Council carrying out the mission assigned to it by the UN Charter. Which it's not going to do. I want to say that right now. Um, and now I'm glad that Jeffrey Sachs is able to deliver this message in front of all these people. He's very concise. Laid down the quotes, the timeline, the allegations, the circumstances, the logistics, the whole thing. The whole thing. You know, Sachs has been doing this for years now. Told the truth about Syria and the CIA. Telling the truth here. In my opinion, his words, unfortunately, are going to fall on deaf ears. I wish that weren't the case. I'll say it again. Over and over and over and over. I want the United States out of the UN and the UN out of the US. Arriba Dirchi. Let's turn the UN building into a museum uh, of examples of globalist corruption. End of that organization. That's what I'd love to see happen. Let's keep it. Let's keep all the flags. And then inside, one by one, we can out the corruption of those nations, including ourselves. That's when we will we'll know we have uh, truly won in this country and regained our constitutional republic, if that's at all possible. Because you got to defeat globalism, especially their brand of globalism with equity and sustainability and gender-affirming care as they push you towards a metaverse and a social and carbon credit score. You can't make this stuff up, period. All right, I wanted to get to this story before we go over to the uh, premium section. And the premium section going to be a banger. I think that we're going to watch this uh, Davos. We're going to do a little Davos uh, V-word watch-along. Some big players. Get ready to buckle up. But this story right here, uh, Mark Middleton's quote-unquote suicide is back in the news. And the Daily Mail has an exclusive story. Uh, we're going to read a lot of that. I would encourage you to check out Whitney Webb. Whitney Webb has done a podcast on uh, Mark Middleton with Ed Berger. And for those that are completely unfamiliar with this story, this was a story uh, that we have covered in this June. The judge sealed the photos of this supposed suicide, despite the fact that this man seemed to be shot and tied to a tree with an electrical cord around his neck. And they found no sign of the weapon that he supposedly shot himself with after tying himself to a tree with an electrical cord and being on land linked to the Clintons and a guy who was linked to Jeffrey Epstein. The grisly scene where a top Bill Clinton uh, advisor was found hanged from a tree with a gunshot wound to his chest has finally been revealed nine months after he died. But the sheriff's report into Mark Middleton's mysterious death raises more questions than answers as it rules he died by suicide, despite no sign of the weapon that killed him. Middleton, 59 was found dead last May at the Hel uh, the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, an hour west of Little Rock. Release of the report was held up after members of his family petitioned a judge. 
They were worried that pictures from the gory scene would be made public. Oh, don't worry. They made sure they weren't. The judge eventually ruled that the details could be released, but photographs could not. Okay. And, hey, there he is. Hey, Mr. Clinton, I can't wait to one day have a painting of you in a blue dress in one of my mansions in red pumps. I can't wait for that day, sir. One day. And don't worry, you know, allegedly you're going to get a, get to fool around with my girl here, Ghislaine, allegedly. And I think that's one of the things that's going to come out of the unsealed Epstein files that we're waiting on. Guys, there is no list. People are still asking, isn't there supposed to be a list? Isn't we supposed to get the list? There's no list. Let me repeat it. There's no list. No list is coming. Zero list. Unsealed documents in the Virginia Gaffray Roberts case are allegedly coming. If you want those, we'll, and we'll do a check right now to make sure that they haven't unlocked the list. If you want those, this is it right here. Take a look. Let's let, let's make sure that we we do it right there. Last updated on the 23rd. Okay, see that? Last updated on the 23rd. That's today. Still don't have anything since the 7th. Okay, just pointing that out. I want to get that out there. The report written by Perry County Sheriff Deputy Jeremy Lawson says he was called to the ranch by a worker, Samantha McElroy, who had found Middleton's uh, abandoned black BMW SUV. McElroy, 46, then walked around a cottage on the ranch. Almost immediately after stepping around the corner of the cottage, she started yelling, wrote Lawson. I'll bet. <laughs> I mean, you see something that grisly, you better start yelling. Upon reaching the back of the cottage, she pointed towards the rear of the property and asked if that was a person. I could see what at first appeared to be a man sitting near a tree. As my eyes focused better, I could see a rope of some type going from the tree limb to the male. Lawson said it was clear that Middleton was dead. I could see that he had a gunshot wound to the chest and that he had a knot tied uh, in an extension cord that was around his neck, and it was attached to the limb directly above him. The deputy said a search for Middleton's vehicle turned up three boxes of buckshot and a gun case, but no weapon. Huh. That's weird, isn't it? It is a whole weird scenario here. The details give fresh insight into the death of Middleton, a married father of two, daughters aged 18 and 20, was found dead on May 7th of last year. Okay. There he is with his family. You never know when you're, when you're tied up with these kind of characters, when your day might be coming. All right. And there's a, a, a list of what we know about Jeffrey Epstein's visit to the Clinton white house. Forget about the uh, flight logs, et cetera, which we only have partial ones. I mean, just take a look. And he basically says, hey, I, I was the Clinton initiative. I was the guy. It's me, Jeffrey Epstein. How you like me now? Middleton was a special advisor to Bill Clinton in the 1990s and signed Jeffrey Epstein into the White House on seven of the 17 times the late pedo visited. Middleton also flew on Epstein's jet, nicknamed the Lolita Express. Most recently, he had been working for his family's HVAC business in Little Rock. The police report was released to DailyMail.com by the Perry County Sheriff's Office. According to the Arkansas Times, Middleton's family said he was suffering from depression. Yeah, I'll bet they said that. 
Milton's life in recent years was a world away from the power he enjoyed in the 1990s. Maybe he got sick of being around a bunch of uh, sociopathic, psychopathic, social climbing monster minions of a predator class. Who knows? But too late, buddy. You want to dance with the devil. Things happen. White House visitor, logs previously reported DailyMail.com, showed that he appears as the authorizing signatory of, on seven of Epstein's White House visits, most of which were to the West Wing. In addition to being a special assistant to the president, Middleton was also an assistant to the chief of staff, Thomas Mac McClarty. Middleton left the White House in February of 95 and was accused of setting himself up as an international deal maker, exactly the kind of person that would appeal to Epstein. I'll bet. I'll bet he appealed to Epstein. So th this is um, the entire report, or at least the, uh, I guess, the um, eyewitness account of uh, Deputy uh, Jeremy Lawson signing off on it. Just pretty wild. This is where we're at. Just want to point that out there. How do I get? Are you kidding me? There we go. There we go. I want to go back to that. In 96, an investigation by the White House found the Middleton had abused his access to impress business clients and was barred from the executive mansion without senior approval. Middleton denied the claims. Oh, did he now? A number of Clinton's former associates have died over the years in unexpected circumstances, including Deputy White House Counsel Vince Foster. Vince Foster would be probably the most notorious of the incidents surrounded by the so-called Clinton body count, so-called. His 1993 death was ruled a suicide, but sparked a slew of conspiracy theories about the involvement of the Clintons after Epstein hanged himself while awaiting trial in 2019. Donald Trump retweeted conspiracy theories that Clinton was involved. Others whose deaths have been linked to the Clintons without foundation have been Seth Rich, the Democratic National Committee staffer, who was murdered in 2016 with no culprit having been found. I, I really don't like that they threw the Seth Rich stuff in there at the end either. You know, they, hey, I'm glad the Daily Mail is doing these stories because you're not seeing them anywhere else. Um, but that's why you want to be involved with Whitney Webb because Whitney Webb is the real deal Holyfield. And uh, once again, you can follow her at underscore Whitney Webb. You can find this uh, very well worth your time. Whitney does a, a great job out there. So a couple uh, of more stories before we, you know, I'm just going to show these. We're going to be playing this video. Yep, we got that video. We're gonna, we got this video here. Doctors not allowed in hospitals at Sarasota Moral Hospital if you don't go along with their great narrative. Even though nobody trusts their great narrative, you got to have a bunch of people that need a paycheck, all right, that are spineless and will just continue to go along with whatever they're told. That, that's that's dangerous, by the way. It's real dangerous. So we got a couple of uh, of those clips, but I wanted to play this really quickly. Okay, and uh, this is a clip of the amount of Starlinks that now surround Earth. All right, this is a little little Grafsky, a uh, movable Grafsky and Hutch, if you will. Okay, now yeah, I mean, take a look. Every little red dot represents a Starlink satellite. Take a look. Whole lot of them, huh? I'm moving around. I'm just saying it's pretty, pretty interesting. I pause it there. 
Um, but what I wanted to do, see, I didn't want that one being the next one. That's the cube sets. Actually, this this could be this could be a good one. So uh, this is the Transformers conference. These are representatives. She's a representative of Rocketdyne. But you also have representatives of NASA. And when you talk about these uh, global satellite networks, you often have to talk about cube satellites. Okay. And once again, the ones that seem to be smaller in stature seem to be the ones that are in low Earth orbit. And then it seems like we have a balloon satellite system for the most part of large scale satellites like the one we saw with the quote unquote Chinese spy balloon. All right. So first of all, let, let's let's talk about these CubeSats and really how, um, and let, let's show you one before we even get going. I think that that'll be a good thing. Uh, CubeSat Nano Sat. We do it live. Or, or CubeSat Nano Sat. Yeah, we do it live. There, there they are right there. So very tiny. Very small. Uh, that's an example of a very, very small one right here. Take a look. Like, like handheld box. And actually, when I talked to uh, Ian Crossland, now I, I think they actually do get bigger than that, by the way. Um, probably much bigger than that. But that that's about how small that they can be. Here's another example. I like the hand as a reference. So you can really, really see what these things are. And here's one that's a bit a bit larger than that. Various shapes, various sizes, uh, different propulsion systems. Okay, so now I I want uh, the the gentleman from NASA here. Uh, I think he was running the uh, the the basic programs back in 2016. Sets or cube sets. When you talk about a revolution. Uh, any, I don't know whether there's anybody out there who has a son or a daughter who goes to St. Thomas More Elementary School in Northern Virginia. Uh, first elementary school to send a spacecraft into space this week. You elementary know, it was school? Elementary school. It was, launched, <laughs> it was launched off the International Space Station. It was among a lot of CubeSats that were sent to station mm -hmm. on a probably orbital or a SpaceX vehicle because we have room to do that. SpaceX sending things up into orbit, and then them sending them out there in these networks. Uh, and so there is an elementary school in Northern Virginia that can now brag about, you know, my spacecraft mm -hmm. is up there doing stuff. <laughs> and once you get that into kids, it's like mm -hmm. I did science fairs. My, my seventh grade science teacher turned me on to science fairs, and I never looked back. Uh, I can guarantee you that these kids at St. Thomas More, they are never going to be told we can't do that. Because they're going to say, you know, when I was yeah. in elementary school, I made a satellite. What do, you mean? I, what do you mean I can't do that? I was making satellites as a kid. Now, we just saw what that global nano satellite, uh, the Starlink network, looked like. This is, uh, again, another NASA talking head that gets into the privatized industry, talking about that being an eventual global uh, skin, basically. A new artificial skin around the planet. Uh through ISS has been sort of seeding the small sat market. Um, and, uh, but you can't launch into all the different orbits from ISS. Yeah. And so what uh, we'll be able to do with our vehicle launcher one is to put um, uh, these satellites into other orbits. But I think what's interesting is that the US is now leading a new area, which is the small satellite sector. And, um, you know, we're going to see tremendous growth. The geostationary, um, the number of geostationary satellites into, uh, getting launched into orbit isn't really growing right now. But you're going to see this huge growth 
in small satellite constellations over the coming years that will establish essentially a new uh, information skin for planet mm -hmm. Earth that uh, you know, helps us with navigation and communication and weather and remote sensing. And I think it'll be eventually sort of a permanent new skin around the planet. And a lot of that is being catalyzed um, by the work uh, that was done inside NASA labs and now inside the, the national lab at ISS. So I played that because again, we're talking about the balloon sats. We just look at the Starlink grid. We've got the nanosats. We've got the different types of orbit. And now I want to talk about different types of propulsion systems that we may not be privy to. All right. Can we? Can you imagine how far the technology is past what they're letting us know about? Um, you know, things like solar electric propulsion. Another thing I like saying. So, kind of blow blow our hair back. Give us a sense of like what's <laughs> what you guys are working on. You know, that's really cool and how it fits into well, all this. You know, we're working on, like you said, we, we support government, we support commercial, and we do primarily propulsion, which is engines, big engines, motors, those type of things, as well as power. The key things, you know, neat things we're working on today, we're doing ion propulsion, which is a form of electric propulsion, and it reduces the mass. You talk about bringing, you know, bringing the cost down. Everything we throw off the planet now has to go on a rocket that costs quite a bit of money. So the smaller you can make it, the cheaper it gets. So we have um, solar electric propulsion that we'll be um, putting on these next missions. We're working the technology on NASA contracts and internal, and it'll half or one-tenth the size depending on how we do that. So that's one thing. And it looks just like you see the blue glow from the old Star Trek. It looks just like that, and it is like that. Oh, it is like that. <laughs> We've got other propulsion systems. <laughs> so... Um, we're working on we're printing rockets now you know we're doing 3d printing of whole rockets and a number of people are doing it and the hard thing about so that, does that mean i can illegally download a rocket um you know at, we, you you well I probably shouldn't talk about that. you know rocket technology is still protected right no but um so this is 2016 and, and this person's telling you yeah ion propulsion other propulsion systems 3D printed rockets at once. These are obviously made of separate materials than you and I are privy to. It gets to that. You get a model and you can do that. The really big ones you can't do yet, but you can certainly do the smaller ones. We talk about the small sats. We can actually print a whole CubeSat propulsion system in one pass. And those are things that you know bring down not just the cost of the product, they're more efficient, they bring down time, and all of this just continues to fuel the cycle, like as George was saying it. So it's it's really a transformative time. We're building off the things that we put in place for the last few decades, but now we can actually take them that next step. Yeah, they can upscale them, okay? And uh, before we go over to the other side, I got one more clip, this microjet propulsion clip. And then we're gonna go over to the other side. We're going to... Um, show you some more clips of some doctors that are saying some things we can't say on this end. We're going to go back to Davos. We're going to talk to the good people at Gavi and Moderna and all the places that we love, and they obviously love you. Um, but let's, let's talk about microjet propulsion systems just really quick. These hundreds and thousands of small sets or CubeSats is their free flyers. They don't have propulsion systems today. We're Julie and, Julie and other propulsion companies are working, <laughs> working. on micro 
jets. Yeah. They're micro rockets. Mm -hmm. So in a CubeSat that has the brains from Andy's telephone and a camera that came out of his telephone, it's going to have a little micro jet yeah. from, from Julie's really company and others. And they're going to be able to maneuver around. <laughs> but most importantly, they're going to be able to comply with the law that says when you put a vehicle in space, it's got to be able to be controlled right. for a controlled reentry where it will not harm anybody on the ground. And we're going to be able to do that. So there it is, guys. That's where we're at right now. Okay. One at a time, we're going to say goodbye. Uh, come on over to redvoicemedia.com, redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. Or you can go over to the Podbean right now, listen to the rest of the broadcast. Remember, every day we do this, we release another one from two weeks ago, free over at redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. Uh, the links are down below for you guys to support me. When we go over to the other side, I'm going to show you this doctor who was kicked out of uh, speaking. Uh, even today, guys, here we are almost three years later. And you still can't say certain things. So with that being said, YouTube, you're going to be the first ones that we say goodbye to. Uh, goodbye, YouTube. See you later, uh, Rumble. Rockfin, I love you. And Twitter, Arriva Dirchi. I believe I've already gotten the text. We are good to go. And just cut the streaming off over on the other end over here and 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 let's just get into it first things first uh again you you can't talk about actual safe and effective treatments that don't make people money and give them power and uh this individual at reopen chris has got quite a few videos out we're gonna be playing a couple uh, of these videos. This is at Sarasota Memorial Hospital at a board meeting. Okay. John Little was kicked out after testifying to the effectiveness of ivermectin to treat COVID-19. This is what they do. They, the people with the guns and the outfits come over and say, bye-bye. Bye now. Get on out of here. What were the outcomes that we had? And we used an independent third party who basically said we had 24% better outcomes than our peer group. And there's the other guy. You're like the, like the other thug right there. Oh, I'm not in my suit, but let, it's time to go now, sir. It's time. We, we don't need any truth here. Thank you. We're not trying to save lives here. Thank you. Not here. Not here. We kill people here. That's what we do. We follow the World Health Organization. Not here, buddy. All right. Second thing was is to follow the money. I'm kind of a numbers guy. And did the hospital benefit or was there any? Yeah, you're, not allowed you're, not allowed you're, you're not allowed to record that video. You can videotape the public. So can't videotape him? What are we doing? Interesting. They said I can't video what's happening out there. Yeah. They're not allowed to do that. And look, you got this guy still in his mask right here. This guy still in his mask right here. This guy 
still in his mask right here. Okay, so so here's a, a female doctor that works at that hospital who, who's going to lay it down and say, I mean, this is still happening. What do you think of all this? What do you think about the report and everything? So sadly, this is not, this is what we knew was going to happen, but. Does anybody have a piece it, of paper? Are you, are you recording? recording this. Okay. It's too bad that it happened because it wasn't a, a show about that the doctors are bad or that the staff is bad or malicious. This is just that they are simply following orders and forbidding use of FDA approved drugs, which have been shown to decrease morbidity and mortality with COVID. So we know now the vaccines are dangerous. The drugs that were used and remdesivir has been taken away. FWHO says it's not effective. It's not safe. Don't use it. We're still using it. Why? You're still using remdesivir. still using remdesivir. So that you know, a lot of them think it's okay though. Did you hear the one guy saying, "Oh, it's great, it's great"? That's not what I've heard. You use it early, but if you use hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or other colchicine, they forbid us from using the drugs that are FDA approved and dirt cheap, including hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, ivermectin, colchicine, Zithromax, vitamin C. All were forbidden use. They forbid you to use vitamin C. Yes, yeah. where, where do we go from here, here, Dr. Weinstein? Because, you know, this is a beautiful hospital and, you know, they, there's a lot of money here, clearly. And the governor, um, what, what do you think about this this liability shield that, that's coming back up for review? Uh, what, as a doctor in a hospital, what are your thoughts on this? So as far as a liability shield, I'm not sure which liability shield you're talking about because there's a lot of liability shields. a lot of liability shields. I'm talking specifically about the one for the, the treatments that we were talking about okay. today. So I'm hoping that that's just gonna be dropped by DeSantis. I hope that that goes away so that we will actually have to take control and responsibility for some of the negative outcomes that will happen and are happening because of the use of these medications. And, and I think that this is important. This is in Florida, guys, Sarasota County. Everybody thinks that, you know, Florida was untouched bullshit. This is why the World Health Organization is dangerous, because it crept into the medical system around our country in the supposed free states. They murdered people there, too. They're still murdering people there. You get it? So... Well, where did you talk in there? I think I heard you talking there. Well, yeah, I did. I think I got minutes of not being able to say my I have documentation that they've changed the vaccination expiration dates for Pfizer, Moderna, and J and J all to be twelve thirty one of twenty sixty nine. You were the one holding up the the yes, mayor's report. Yes. So I've got the. That's not the mayor's report. That is just the package insert to the vaccines. That's the J and J vaccine. All of them. Are all no, I don't want. So I, I just hope everybody heard that. That they've now been ordered to say that these uh, shots are good till 2069. Weird. Uh, I wonder what they're going to do with that surplus. Weird, because. They don't have the demand for these things. Yeah. But I've got okay. tons of my patients. I take a picture of them. Is still going? photo cards. It was, but she just said she was leaving. She's going to get arrested. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't want to get arrested either. I just don't get arrested. She, she's a little bit 
out there. Okay. Um, but that's okay. Right? There's, 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 some of us are. But I know. It, but anyway, but, yeah, but um, yeah, she'll be all right. But it, again, this is something I, you know, showed yesterday with John, but we're in the post-truth world. The, the, the Israeli courts ordered the Ministry of Health to release their agreement with Pfizer. Okay. And this is in the liability. Okay. This is in the liability and indemnity provisions. Just, nope, sorry, you don't get to know. Oh, by the way, sorry, the lockdowns and the masks made little to no difference. Sorry, huh? Oh, oh, sorry. And then you look at the World Health Organization's own numbers. They said that flu completely disappeared for 18 months. Not possible, not real at all imagination land you have to believe that and now you have to believe worst flu season ever hmm weird just just odd huh let's let this woman continue and now again the hate and lie shots 2060 2063 2069 hell why not 2099 <laughs> why not make it a nice little fun number Anyway, uh, so, Dr. so that yeah, thing you're holding up. That's a package insert to the vaccine from J&J, but they're all blank. Every one of them is blank. And it's not just. Blank inserts, huh? This Nothing. Is, this is, this must be a conspiracy theory. No. Wait a minute. No. This is a doctor this is who a is internal medicine in this very hospital. This is a J&J package insert. And why did they even make it look like it had something on it? worth reading because most doctors don't ever open it up it's blank this is what's inside the j and j yeah, vaccine this says COVID vaccine right there okay and it is completely blank all right the expiration dates on my patient's vaccine cards now are 12 31 of 69 2069 what kind of biologic what kind of drug has got a 47 year shelf life none what about these biologics they don't so why is that? Some prototypes because they are meant to be people. So they try to kick you out of here for not uh, yeah. the vaccine and not taking it? No, but they're, they're coming after me. You know, it's character defamation is the best way to get rid of people, right? That's it. So, you know, they gave me a COVID patient down in Venice and asked me to take care of him. The only way he was going to get ivermectin was if I took care of that patient and I couldn't transfer him up here. I had to go down there. He was not my patient. I chose to try to, to reach across the aisle and do the right thing, which was to go down there and take care of this gentleman who had not been, he had been fully vaccinated and boosted and was not given any ivermectin, was not even given the steroids, not given anything. And <clears throat> so no budesonide, no ivermectin. They told you if you took the shots to stay out of the hospital. Remember, it wasn't that it stopped transmission. It just stopped severe COVID. All lies. All hate and lies. Say it with me. They hate you. They hate me. They hate us. They hate humanity. And that's why we're going to play. We're going to, for the rest of the broadcast, do a little watch along with uh, the state of the pandemic with the World Economic Forum only two weeks ago at Davos. Good morning and welcome everybody. Thank you for joining this early morning session at the World Economic Forum 2023. It's great to have you here in the room and thanks and warm welcome for everybody who is following the stream and following this session live. 
This year's Davos annual meeting marks the world's leaders' biggest post-pandemic gathering. It was three years ago when in January 2020, the World Health Organization declared a public health emergency of international concern. And despite many efforts to learn from the pandemic during these three years and some of the world leaders declaring the end of it, it still represents a big risk and surely does not seem like it is over. Only not over because you're restricting medicines to this day in westernized nations and ones that are supposedly publicized as the freest around. They're murdering people. They're murdering people. During this session, we will evaluate the state of the pandemic, the increase in cases globally, as well as the consequences and impact on the healthcare system worldwide. And remember, Joe Biden tried to declare the end of it and said it was over at a car shell, but it was at a car shell. And, you know, Joe's a little old and he likes cars and he'll just say anything when he's looking at cars. So, no, no, no. We'll re-sign the emergency. It's going to go until May, he said. And then, because he's so hip and with it and so knowledgeable, so Johnny on the spot with this one, he said, the Supreme Court gets to decide. The Supreme Court gets to decide. Wow. It's my great honor to introduce the speakers of the session. Here with me, we have Maria Leptin, President, European Research Council. Uh, Seth Berkeley, Chief Executive Officer Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Stefan Bensel, Chief Executive Officer at Moderna. And Michelle Williams, the Dean of the Faculty, Harvard Chan School of Public Health. Bye. You gotta love it. Harvard's here. Harvard, there's a great authoritative source. Harvard, yes. Harvard with Moderna and Gavi and the Vaccine Alliance together again for the very first time. Harvard, she went to Harvard. Hmm. At the end of the session, we're going to also hear the closing remarks about Shyam Bishan had shaping the future of health and healthcare, member of executive committee at the World Economic Forum. My name is Sasha Vakulina. I'm with Euronews, and I'm going to be moderating this session. By the end of it, we're going to have the possibility to get some questions from the audience. So get ready. You're going to just need to raise your hand if you want to get in touch. If you're with us uh, online, you had used, you can use the hashtag WAF23, and the team will be able to to get your view and comments on that. Uh, without further ado, let's just jump straight to the discussion. And Michelle, I would like to start with you, please. Uh, let's set the scene here and let's try to evaluate the current state of the pandemic globally and the risks of these rather premature claims that the pandemic is over. Just, just wild. Talk about, again, these are the authoritative sources. These are the per people we're supposed to put in charge. These are the people that supposedly love you and the planet. And they're acting like, oh, after almost three years, three years declaring it's over would be premature. And, and here comes the Harvard mouthpiece, the establishment mouthpiece, to pair it the same damn thing. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Sasha. Good morning, everyone. And I'm really delighted to see this room full because it means that you know, COVID uh, fatigue has not fully set in and that people are still interested and eager and um, um, committed to appreciating that this pandemic is not over. Far from it, actually. Far from it. We're far from over. These people are insane. 
Look at how they speak to the rest of us. And the people that dare sit there, I mean, like this moron, this guy right here in the front with his mask on, they're pathetic. They're pathetic. And I would say that we have to also be grateful that, you know, advances in therapeutics and vaccines um, have really allowed us to reopen our society. And I think part of the enthusiasm. No, no, they didn't at all. That's 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 a bold faced lie. I'd love to be able to sit down with this woman. OK, with access to the Internet. OK, in a closed session where we could live stream it and that person would actually have to answer to their lies, their bold faced hate filled lies. Their vaccines and therapeutics did nothing to reopen society. Their authoritarian dictates and mandates closed down society, destroyed the economy, and murdered people. And murdered people. Purposefully. Enthusiasm comes from the fact that we are able to have gatherings like this again um, after a long period of disruption. So setting the context. We still in the United States have 526 deaths per year from per day, per day, sorry, per day. I mean, let's just stop that. That's that's how vapid this whole thing is. That's how insincere these people are. That's what a joke this is. Would have just kept rolling with that. We 500 plus deaths a day. First of all, we used to have people die from the flu in this country. That disappeared when the flu disappeared for a year and a half. Now flu's at the top. Okay? They never had their pandemic of the unvaccinated. Okay? They never had their their severe winter or their um, dark winter of severe illness and death. Not real. Not real. Man, this angers me. From COVID. And, and that's up since November, October, where we were in the 400s. Now, what's really disappointing is nine out of 10 of those deaths could be averted if we took our vaccines. Total lie. Not real. Again, not real at all. That's imaginary. If we took our vaccines, nine out of 10 people could be saved. You just heard an actual doctor talking about fully vaxxed and boosted, uh, you know, again, being beholden to the death system in Florida. These people are gross, man. They are gross. It's a gross human. And boosters and practice the other behavioral aspects, ventilation, mask wearing when appropriate, distance and so on. Don't be a human. This is part of the don't be a human crowd. The Fauci, you should never shake hands again crowd. This is this is an authoritarian, anti-human husk of, of, of a, I don't even want to talk, I, I don't even know if this, this is a dark spiritual being, if it is one. Very happy, very happy to push a destructive, lying, authoritarian narrative on the rest of our uh, us coming from Harvard. Ooh, I came from Harvard. And so for me as a, as a public health person, mm. knowing yeah. that we could avert nine out of 10 of those deaths 
um, reminds me of the fact that we have to avoid prematurely talking about this pandemic being over. I also think that the context, in when we talk about context, we must also discuss the more chronic implications of this pandemic. We must discuss the fact that there's, in the U.S. alone, over 174,000 COVID infants uh, will have a life, a life course that's impacted by this pandemic. COVID infants? Like, what does that even mean? All of the numbers showed the least impacted, okay, and the most able to fight this thing were babies and those in their youth, all right, period. That's not even questionable. And these are the people that wanted you to shoot up your six-month-old again and again and again. COVID babies. These are the people that told you natural immunity wasn't a thing. That natural immunity didn't exist. These are peddlers and pushers of hate and lies and biomedical tyranny that want to inject you with, with literal poison and death, biological warfare to go along with their psychological warfare. We also have to consider the fact that long COVID is a reality. And it's not only going to be impacting individuals and families, but the economic impact of long COVID as um, quantified by um, Larry Summers and, and David Cutler, both of Harvard, is that it's gonna cost us $3.7 trillion. Um, and that's gonna have financial impacts. So my bottom line is this pandemic is far from over. Um, thanks to therapeutics and diagnostics and vaccines, we are able to reclaim, you know, much of civil society and our economy and our educational system. Our healthcare system is still under stress. And what I hope people will understand is the vaccine not only protects in individuals from transmission and severity, but it protects our health systems. A blatant lie. A blatant, I mean, this person said this two weeks ago. It stops transmission. They, I mean, they just don't care. The Harvard lady just said the shots stop transmission. These people should be sued into the ground. They should be held criminally accountable. This woman deserves to spend the rest of her life in prison. That's where that lady belongs, in prison. Because the truth of the matter is that lady and her friends have done more damage and killed more people than any local gang that maybe I discussed with Ray on yesterday's broadcast, okay? This is the real cartel right here. We're able to have a functional or almost functional health system because we don't have the kinds of severe disease that we were facing in 2020. And we need to also recognize that our health systems have to recover as well. We have burnout uh, from our healthcare workers and we have case mixes of chronic diseases that are worse now and require more intensive medical intervention than before. So the impact and the context is diverse and wide 
um, widespread. And also we have to think about the chronic implications on our health systems and our financial systems workforce. Yeah, you got rid of all the good doctors and nurses that tried to step up and speak out. Okay, you did that, absolutely. You, you people are pure poison. You are pure poison. And then you're actually being honest about the fact that there's an uptick in all these chronic uh, illnesses, et cetera, because you injected hate and lies into people and you've compromised their immune systems. That's the reality. That's the reality. Wow. Absolutely. And we're going to discuss that a little later to go into more details because it's, as you said, such an important aspect with the total, if I may say, calling it the burnout of the whole of the health system generally. Let's um, let's talk a little about vaccination. They refuse to see cancer patients. They refuse to see people who had heart conditions. They, they're still in New York and other places making you mask up to go to the doctors. This is repulsive. And I want to go for the next question to Seth Berkeley. Let's assess the results of the COVID-19 vaccine delivery partnership, because this is the initiative from Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, UNICEF, the World Health Organization, to support and accelerate vaccine delivery in low and middle income countries. This is such an important issue. Let's try to to see where we are there with, with this program for Seth. And this is what makes me want to vomit. These people constantly act like, oh, this is going to be about equity and the poor countries didn't get the vaccine. Really? So so a bunch of them must have just died. Oh, wait, that didn't happen. In fact, we're seeing more excess deaths in countries that did get, get the hate and lie shot. And what's interesting about what this guy says, all right, first of all, he admits that within 367 days, I think, that they had their hate and lie shot via their Moderna stuff. So they fa- we thought 18 months, two years would have been quick. 367 days we were injecting people. Wow. Now we have to figure a way to scale it up and make other poor people take it. What? So thanks, Sasha. And let me start. First of all, it's great to be back in person. Three years ago, we sat here in Davos and we didn't know where this was going to go. There were some political leaders saying, you know, it's going nowhere. Um, but um, Stefan was part of the conversation and, and Richard Hatchett and I sat down and said, the last pandemic with flu, the developing world got no vaccines. They were all bought up by wealthy countries. So we knew that was what was going to happen if this turned into a global pandemic. And so we started this concept of COVAX, which we brought lots of other people into. Yeah, we, we made sure that, look, we wanted to distribute this globally and try to inject as many children men and women as we possibly could with this, make it mandatory. Also indemnify us and make us totally uh, not liable for the fact that we just poison the global populace. <laughs> and the idea was to try to solve that problem. Um, first of all, the science was amazing. I'm sure Stefan will talk about that. 327 days, if you had asked us. Uh, did I say 367 days? Less than a year. 327 days. That's how much the science loved you. 327 days. Hey, but it's okay because we had emergency use authorization and DARPA had partnered with Moderna back in 2013. We were ready to go, baby. Adept and protect. 
We had thought maybe we could get there 18 months, two years. So extraordinary, um, you know, advancements in, in the science. Um, but on the policy side as well, we, we did our first dose in the developing world 39 days after the first dose was done in a wealthy country. Of course, it should be the same day, but that's, you know, a record. And what we were able to do then was to bring um, doses to the developing world. Now, it wasn't smooth. It didn't go well. Um, uh, but in the first year, we um, had put a goal together of 950 million doses because that's what we thought we could get for for lower and lower middle income countries. And we ended up with about 930 million doses. So we came close to that. Today, um, uh, the lower income countries, the half of the countries that are lower income, have a, a coverage rate of 53% of primary vaccination, as opposed to a global total of 64%. So absolutely not equity. And particularly in the elderly, a 66% coverage should be way higher. Health workers better, 81% coverage. But to answer your question, on, on uh, we realized that given the disparities were still there at the beginning of 2022, there were 34 countries with less than 10% coverage. And we intensified a program, um, both providing finance and technical assistance. And today there are seven countries with less than 10% coverage. And, and as you can imagine, six of those are quite fragile countries with fragile health systems. Fragile health systems. So I want people to really understand that. The only seven countries at first only had 10% vaccination rates. That's how much they propagandized people. They they literally got probably around half the global populace, close to half the global populace to at least take doses one and two. That's scary, man. That's scary. And even if you didn't want them, you notice how we talked about healthcare workers being in that 80 plus percentile. Yeah, because you fired their ass. You did the same thing to state workers. You went after states with huge populaces and huge influences like New York and California, especially. You are grotesque, sir. I mean, th those are states, by the way, that have more people than some nations, everybody, just to let everybody know. So one of the challenges is how to take a system that, you know, we at Gavi provide vaccines for um, about half of the world's children, but those are mostly pediatric vaccines. We do campaigns for yellow fever and, and, and epidemic diseases in, in um, older populations, but for routine, there is no routine system for adults. So what countries had to do is adapt their systems, use their health workers. It's one of the reasons there's burnout. Of course, there were also a lot of health worker deaths, and, and these are challenges that we should talk about. Um, the problem we have right now is since the beginning of 2022, we've had enough vaccines to provide whatever countries want, the challenge has been getting the demand. Part of it is the world says, you know, we're done with, um, with, with COVID. Of course, the virus is not done with us, as Michelle said. The virus ain't done with you. So again, he's telling you since the beginning of 2022 now, since the beginning of 2022, the last 14 months, we got plenty, whatever you want. And remember, I told you from the very beginning, it was two to five shots bare minimum they were going to try to sell you on, and then one every six months to a year. What do they do? That exact damn thing. And now they're telling you basically every two months you go get your booster. You get it six times a year. Just shoot it up, baby. After all, this is this guy's got vaccines to sell. 
He's got vaccines to sell. He doesn't know where to get rid of them. COVID's not done with you yet. And um, what we really need to do is make sure that policymakers understand that, you know, we're continuing to see new variants and we've been lucky that we haven't had one with very severe disease or one that can escape existing immunity. But there's no reason to think that that may not happen. So there is no existing immunity with the hate and lie shots that these people gave you. They never stopped transmission like the liar said next to you. Okay, by the time they put these things out, even if you believed it, there would be a mutation and another variant. Delta, Omicron, bivalent, right? The XBBBY. Sounds like a fucking droid from Star Wars. Get out of here. These are the real cartel kids. These are the real capos. The best thing we can do is use the preventive methods, but also make sure we vaccinate our high-risk populations so they're protected against severe disease and death. Let's go more a little bit into the new variants and subvariants, and I'm going to go with the... The new variants and sub... Ooh, those new variants and subvariants. Let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Bansel, uh, let's talk about vaccine development because we've heard how it happened, obviously, with COVID-19 starting from 2022 and how extraordinary the process was also in terms of the speed. How is development adoption and scaling of vaccine going on when it comes for different variants and sub-variants? Because this is one of the big concerns as, we, as we're all here now and we're discussing, we, we understand the context and this is a great deal. Sure. Like, good morning and thank you for having me on the panel. Um, so the great news versus 2020, where we are today, is we have manufacturing capacity. As Seth knows, when the pandemic happened, Moderna had made 100,000 doses in 2019 for the whole year. So, you know, he kind of uh, slips up there. Now, I don't know whether or not that he misspeaks. I know that this is the clip that's gone viral where he talks about 100,000 doses in 2019. Now, now, once again, you listen to that guy, and first of all, we didn't acknowledge the virus was even a thing until January of 2020. That's a problem, right? That That's a big issue. But again, when you're working with mRNA in the Defense Department, maybe it's not a slip-up. So within, what, 327 days of them sequencing the virus and identifying it, that's when you supposedly got the first hate and lie shot. Not 2019. That is a problem. And I remember walking after Davos into the office of my head of manufacturing and I say, how we make a billion dollars next year? So, you know, let, let's go back. Because he could just be talking about, it's bizarre because it's the only product they've ever put out was their hate and lies mRNA shot for COVID. So let's, let's play it. Versus 2020, where we are today is we have manufacturing capacity. As Seth knows, oh. when the pandemic started right from the beginning, me on the panel. Um, so the great news versus 2020, where we are today, is we have manufacturing capacity. As Seth knows, when the pandemic happened, Moderna had made 100,000 doses in 2019 for the whole year. And I remember walking after Davos into the office of my head of manufacturing and I say, how do we make a billion doses next year? How do we notice how it's how do we make is, is it a billion doses or a billion dollars for next year? And you look at me a bit funny, say what? Uh, I say, yeah, we need to make a billion doses next year. There's going to be a pandemic. 
So <laughs> he said that's see that right there is, is more damning. He says there's gonna be a pandemic a year later. So they have a hundred thousand doses of mRNA. How do we scale it up to a billion doses? There's gonna be a pandemic. I, I mean. This really does need to be evaluated a little bit more. No one's challenged this guy on this. I know they've talked to to Borla and Borla, you know, the Pfizer guy. These guys look, I know they sound different with different foreign accidents. They they look very similar. Um, and so where we are now is, you know, we have plants in the U.S. and in Switzerland. We've shown this summer that we're able to adapt to variants very quickly. Um, if you think about it, you know, in the U.S., Peter Marks, uh, told us on June 28, we want for the US a BA5 Omicron uh, uh, booster. And by early September on Labor Day weekend, he was in US pharmacies, which kind of 60 days, which kind of in the old world of vaccines uh, will have been years. Yeah, yes, five years. Easily. Unthinkable. Um, and I was just telling Seth uh, before. But now we're just printing shit up. We're teaming up with the Musker nuts. We're doing the CureVac Tesla thing. And we're molecularly printing up spike protein reproduction hate and lies shots. Sometimes in 60-day turnaround times. This, this should frighten the hell out of people. And look, look, how, many, look how many masker news there are. There's, there's another masker do here. There's, there's two of them. So there's one uh, over to the left you can't quite see on top of masky nuts over here just keep masking take take five six shots gonna keep masking so i can't breathe for the, uh, this discussion that i'm very excited that over christmas more than i bought a japanese company uh, that has developed a new technology new science from tokyo university to shrink by two more weeks the time to get from deciding the sequence to having products ready. So it will not be ready for this summer for the, uh, the booster that we're going to need in the fall of 23, but potentially by the fall of 24, it might be ready. A booster for the fall of 23, but by the fall of 24 for your next round of boost, the boosters never end. It's never ending. And so we keep on working on technologies to improve that. The other piece that we are working on also, because uh, Seth and I had many, many discussions over the last three years, as you can imagine, uh, is how do we uh, build manufacturing capacity around the world? You know, we had a lot of export restriction during the pandemic, uh, which was really, really painful for a lot of obvious reasons. Uh, even from countries who say we will not limit exports, trust me, they were. Um, and so uh, we're very excited now that we are building a factory in Canada. We already broke ground in the fall. We're building a factory in Australia. Uh, we are going to start a factory this quarter in the UK. By the way, going down that line, think of the restriction, restrictions in Canada, in Australia, and in the UK. So it's like, hey, we're going to have manufacturing sites in the most dystopic of the westernized nations during this COVID-1984 nightmare. Buckle up. We got all the shots you want. We're ready to print, print, print away. If only... We had a pandemic accord that our customers would sign on to and give their authority over to a corrupt World Health Organization, if only. And we're also going to start being a factory in Kenya. We're talking to a couple more countries because I would really like on every continent 
to have mRNA capacity. Because the amazing thing about mRNA is you can use the same facility, the same plant, the same machines to uh, make any vaccine you want. For example, you know, last night we announced we have positive data on our RSV vaccine for phase three, with a very high 84% you know, efficacy on the vaccine. As many of you know, there's no vaccine against RSV, and too many people get sick and, and die every every year of RSV, both in the elderly and also it's a big problem for toddlers. Oh, um, um, this guy's just going to nod to anything. This is their moneymaker. He's wearing the SDGs. The, su the sustainable development goals on a pin on his chest. Blah. And so we can use exactly the same machines in the same plant to make the other vaccine. So the flexibility is what I think also give me hopes, not only for the variants that nature might throw at us, but also for other vaccines. Well, it's, it's interesting how you say that, you know, three years ago, some of this speed and some of those days and how you say this, and now we can speed it up even more. Something like that was not even possible or thinkable to be discussed three years ago, even when, when we went into COVID, right? What, are you deaf, lady? Uh, like, like, this is what I mean. This person's not a journalist. It's not a moderator. It's a mouthpiece. Did you not hear what he just said? He talked about 2019 and 2020 and being ready for it. What are you talking about? I, I mean, again, on so many levels, we are being gaslit. We are not allowed to ask an obvious question. And the talking head Muppet is just there to push the narrative along, no matter what's even said to them. But uh, Maria, let's... I want to bring it to a little bit of a different aspect with you here because COVID-19 pandemic illustrated also the difficulties and the risks of science denial. And three years into it, we're still having lots of that. And this is... You mean science denial, like that woman from Harvard saying the shots stop transmission? Wow. Wow such an important issue here, the highlighted importance of science, and I know you're passionate about that. How do you see the situation now? Has it improved or not? Um, I wish it had improved. I am passionate about science, and it's an interesting question. I am the science. passionate about science. Very, oh, I wish it had improved. I'm here at the World Economic Forum to lie my ass off. That's what she's there to do, to, to, to dictate to you that her and her cronies are the science and that you're just a loser denier I'm just a denier see i can't read at a fourth grade level okay i can't listen to what people say i can't run a video back and be like hey none of that made sense there buddy mr moderna but no 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 she's passionate about science um Perhaps interestingly, two of the countries which were most successful in getting good coverage of vaccination based this not at all on getting their citizens to try and understand the signs. One is Bhutan, which, uh, where they were very successful in preparing a campaign and involved. They asked, they, they were sensitive to the country's needs, to the citizens' needs, involved in informing 
the religious establishment and in fact using them in finding the right time and date. And they got fantastic coverage. No science was explained. The other example I know of um, is Portugal, where the um, campaign was handed to a retired army general. And the army general just treated the country as his troops and he rallied the troops. He declared it as a war that the country in patriotic passion was going to fight together. And so, yeah, well, let's run military operations and compromise religious institutes. And then we don't have to tell them anything about the science. <laughs> they had up there, I think they were leading in Europe, if not the world. So no science. Let's remember that. Good planning, good, uh, uh, you know, thinking and integration in one country and the right sort of attitude in another. Um, scientists, we scientists, uh, and I'm totally behind the scientists who were asked constantly at the beginning of the campaign, we did what scientists do. We expressed our knowledge and our uncertainty. I mean, uh, the, 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 the spoof on this in Don't Look Up was wonderful, you know. 93% certain means 7% possible that the comment won't. Why should we worry? And so I, I don't blame any of the scientists, neither in my own country, Germany, nor Fauci in America, or any of the scientists who pronounced publicly. The trouble is that many citizens don't understand uncertainty as part of the scientific method. And if I say today, this is my best belief with that uncertainty, and somebody else says tomorrow, you didn't do that experiment right, you didn't, that's the way we are. So we've got to go so profoundly into educating citizens about the scientific method if we want better trust in science. And the bad news is, who's it gonna be? It's not gonna be us because we're the ones who are mistrusted. I'm now a Brussels scientific official. You represent academia, can never trust them. Industry. The academia person said that the, the hate and lie shots stop transmission. And that if people just listen to the authoritarian mandates and stop touching each other and wore masks, that nine out of 10 lives could be saved. You, you guys are fucking liars. That's why no one trusts your ass. Oh, all right. I think that's that's going to be enough for me today, folks. If you are new to the broadcast, you came over, and you subscribed for the first time. You said, "Wow, you know this Jason Burmis. He's got he's got some good things to say. Points out some good stuff. Check out the documentary films: Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order Defined, and Shade the Motion Picture are all free right here, right now, across platforms. I want you to watch them. I want you to share them." It shows you this isn't new. It shows you that these organizations have been set up by a predator class to push you into what appears to be a benevolent form of globalism because they love us. Well, you watch this broadcast, you damn well know how much they love you. Truth is, I love you guys. It's not about left or right. It's always about right and wrong. And I will see you all on the flip side.